Call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk, now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, a podcaster exploring new horizons and irrigation. It's Andy Greenwald. I got to keep that. You got to keep it. Chris got so, so excited. He's so, so excited. excited. I knocked my mic on. It's Andy Greenwald. What's up, brother? That was awesome. That's representative of how real this pod is. You know what I mean? Like we're, when we're excited, we're not going to hide it. Oh, yeah. Words and all. We don't cut anything out. Even even like the tears, the laughter. Andy, we're here to talk about the penultimate episode, and I mean it this time, the penultimate episode of Better Call Saul. Longtime watch listeners will know that this one snuck up on me. I just thought... I thought ready this to call series, it. I was like, the series is over. Um, what a treat to be able to talk about this with my bud, Andy, and what an episode to chat about. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we wanted to get to today. Uh, I, you know, is quick, it, there, I do. I have one quick thing, just like a programming note. If you're listening to this, you're probably excited about the imminent end of Better Call Saul, one of the best dramas of the decade. But you also might be aware that there's a bigger bigger TV event happening this week, which is on Wednesday on the Disney Plus service, the first half of Bluey Season 3 is dropping. Jesus Christ. And you're going on vacation at the right time, buddy, because... Is this why you've been so cagey about what you're going to talk about on Thursday? Is it? I Are don't you going to do 15 minutes solo on Bluey and tank us? Tank us or elevate us? Chris, small sample don't size. I don't notice that when I go away, you uh-huh. have like these like incredible monologues about television. Yeah. And then when I'm here, uh, yeah. you're just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch that. I didn't check that out. Look, Not for me. I got to be me. And people have come up to me, Chris. Who? Person. Person Who? has come up to me and been like, we need more Daddington content. Yeah. That's the lane. That's the lane. Maybe you should, you should see if you can get yourself on Parent Corner on Guess the Lines this season. Their parenting issues are a lot more fraught than mine. I have younger children, so I don't think I, I don't think I can hang on that corner. You're not okay, like the father of Jacob Elordi. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sending out panic grams, being like my child is taller than Tarzan. Like I don't have that issue yet. Okay, all respect to the Podfather, but I'm I'm a couple a couple laps behind. Look, uh, Bluey's the best show on TV, but we're going to talk about maybe the second best and Better Call Saul tonight. Um, other house cleaning things. Um, yeah. Not especially just to say that we recorded on Thursday. I can't believe us. Listen to us. What's happened to us? I was about to say we recorded before the earnings call. 
I mean, we talk about industry. And yeah. then, I know. I'm not saying we slipped, but I'm just saying since when Since when was this pod about earnings calls? You know what I mean? This pod is about me liking a cartoon you don't like. But you know what? I but, loved your confidence. You were just like, let's do yeah, this. I good. do not think that this I, is really going to wind up being like the end of HBO Max and we're going to have to re-record it, in 15 minutes. And that's why I trust you with my life, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm a doctor. So I think the takeaway from this event was both, I think the whole thing was overhyped and a little bit undersold. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to take time for it to shake out to understand what it means. We should just wanted to circle back to say the takeaway from the earnings call that we did not wait for was essentially that within a year or in a year, there will be one streaming service that will have all of the assets of HBO Max and all of the assets of Discovery Plus. Mm-hmm. And- this was not really a secret or a surprise. The CEO of Discovery doesn't buy Warner Media to keep all of the assets in separate boxes. That doesn't make any sense. Right, especially now, when the Discovery assets have much less subscribers than the HBO assets. Yeah, and do they are they flavors that go well together? Do they make sense? Do, does one skew male and one skew female? As was <laughs> does presented one to lean us, in which the and the other one leans out? Yeah. Do you remember the bit on, on The Simpsons where they're, they're, they're like making fun of like hacky comedians and they're like, white guys walk like this. And black guys walk like this. That's basically what the internet's reaction to David Zaslav's pr- uh, presentation was. Anyway, that all makes sense from a consumer and a business point of view. What it completely obscures is whatever is happening behind the scenes. And we can't speak to that. And, you know, people's jobs are on the line and people's futures. The shows are, that were greenlit are being redlit, which is a new thing. Is that um, a thing? I just made it up. Sounded pretty good. Let me know like how you it. feel about it. We don't know. It's going to take time to shake out. Is some essential soul of HBO or HBO Max being removed in all this? Again, we don't know. Casey Bloys is still steering the ship. Succession season four is still filming. So I think everybody hopefully is taking a deep breath and let the Batgirl discourse play out in real time. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know what more there's to say about it other than combining assets of a streaming service makes sense when there are too many streaming services. The only thing I was going to ask, the thing that that we didn't get a chance to get into the mm-hmm. specifics on, nor will we be getting into the specifics on them here, but needless to say, there were a lot of numbers thrown around in terms mm-hmm. of uh, the profitability or the revenue generation of of these various services, specifically the HBO Max, you know, and everything. And uh, I guess I was just struck by the fact that I don't think that is there any streaming service that doesn't act as kind of either a creative or financial albatross around the neck of the conglomerate that owns it? Well, no, because they are all massive. And I know Netflix is sort of separate, and Amazon and Apple are separate, so I guess what I'm really talking about is the Paramount, Warner, Peacock group of, of services. I am not Conrad K. and Mickey Down. As, as, as evidence on Thursday's podcast, I don't understand money or financial systems at all. That said, my extreme layman's understanding of all of this is that the corporations in question, the media conglomerates in question, so we're talking about Paramount, Universal, and Warner, which is now Warner Discovery, Mm -hmm. made a giant bet over the last few years on the future of the business. And the future of the business was going to be streaming. So they pivoted everything towards that, which was going to necessitate huge losses in the short term with the idea of growth in the long term. And that's the sort of play that allowed Amazon to lose money for many, many years while showing growth until it eventually became profitable because it started a cloud service, which is not untrue, by the way. I don't, again, I don't understand money or Jeff Bezos, but in my understanding, 
Amazon was just losing money while they were like, yeah, we'll sell you that. Sure, we'll sell that too, until they came up with Amazon Cloud Services and businesses were like, that we need. Yes. So anyway, all of this is to say, yeah, they're, they're ringing up huge, huge losses. Um, but shareholder growth and how long that can continue, I don't know. How long some of these companies can continue to splash around in the ocean with the biggest boys, Amazon, Apple, and to a degree, Netflix, that's TBD. The other financial thing I did want to hit on, because again, I get it. You love it. Is, you love that stuff. Is I did see someone take a shot at us for, for, for I, I guess, not being clear about, because there was a comment, we had some comments last week, or we, we um, reported, we don't. What was report, the, the we, form we for this comment? You know, I, I let stuff just flow through me. It was Facebook, like, well, wasn't it? I don't, it was I you love, on Facebook. I love Facebook. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, remember, remember there was a time when I was just like, let's get back into emails. Like, cause I could just really call it. I know where the culture is moving back to Facebook. Um, the idea was that as things are being pulled off of HBO max, right. Whether it was movies or, uh, Mrs. Fletcher or uh, yeah, camping. Right. We were like, where did um, run go? Yeah. We, or we were maybe being glib about that as if this was somehow, um, malicious or it was being done. Like it was retribution. Or they were trying to sneak All, one by us. Yeah. Right. All of this everything has to be paid for. Like, that's something that is absolutely clear. And as someone, I'm just going to throw it out here. Let's just say I know someone very well who had a show made by one studio, a studio that is under the same conglomerate as a streaming service. But let's just say this person's show, prior batch, not on the streaming service owned by the company because those two arms, the same company, yeah, can't agree on the price. So even though they should just live on forever, they don't. And that's, something that is going to be a wake-up call for both creators and consumers alike. But we didn't mean to be glib. It's not like things are falling away haphazardly necessarily, but people are looking at it and being like, well, we have to pay a licensing fee to someone or maybe multiple ones, or maybe they're expensive shows because of all the executive producers or studios involved. Things are going to fall away. It's just, it is what is going to happen. What's the uh, Hail Caesar line that Ray Fiennes says to Alden Ehrenreich where he's like, were that it was so simple, you know? <laughs> were that it were so simple. Well, yeah. It's, uh, I was reading today about, it was, there's an article in Deadline about the Warner stuff, and it was largely about J.J. Abrams and about Demi Mon being canceled, but, you know, and Zaslav and him having a kind of, uh, a summit to sort of decide which mm -hmm. way to go with, with their very lucrative for Bad Robot agreement, and it took pains to mention that under his agreement with Warner Brothers, J.J. Abrams is still somewhat prolific producing things that are Warner Brothers sanctioned, but for yes. other services. It's just yes. that he hasn't made anything for HBO Max is the issue or for, for the HBO streaming property. So it's like exactly what you're saying. It, it, you can still be winning even if it doesn't appear to be a win in the W column. And whoever's keeping score or whenever the game ends is very much fluid and in flux. And we're going to talk a little bit at the end of this podcast, I think, about the first episode of The Sandman on Netflix. And I'm going to hopefully cover it more on Thursday. But that's really important to note. Sandman, published by DC Comics, eventually under their Vertigo imprint, owned by Warner, um, developed by Warner Brothers Films for many years, and then assumed by many that it, that it would eventually end up on HBO or some HBO-affiliated service. It's not. It is a Warner Brothers studio production for Netflix. And... Does that make sense? Honestly, I don't know. I would have had a different <laughs> and, and I'm saying I like the show. I'm excited yeah. about the show. I'm talking purely from a business point of view. At different points over the last six to 10 months, I would have given you very, very different answers. Yeah. I would have said, and I still kind of believe 
that it makes sense for Netflix because even though Netflix is having a creative upheaval, like Umbrella Academy proves that genre storytelling that has a lot of run, runway in front of it, a lot of Witcher, stories to tell, yeah. does well for them. And it's yeah. like Sandman's number one around the world on the top 10 list. That's that's very, very significant. But at this moment, if you went back to the new Zaslav controlled Warner and said like, we have this grown up thing that would do really well around the world, would they want it now? Would Casey want it? Does Netflix look at this and be like, we'll get three seasons out of it. And I know that you, Neil Gaiman and Alan Heinberg and everyone have plans to tell the entire comic book in like eight to 10 years, but we don't care about that. (laughs) We just going to get the three years we were going to get out of it. I don't know if anyone can answer that right now. And in three years, the landscape could be completely different, but that is a really interesting example from a business perspective. From a creative perspective, we'll talk about it later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's best eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. Let's talk, we'll talk about Sandman a little bit later. Let's get into this uh, episode of Saul, which is the penultimate episode of the series written and directed by Vince Gilligan, who is the creator of Breaking Bad. So he gets his his sort of final say, and appropriately enough, and obviously spoilers for this episode of Saul starting now, appropriately enough, this one continues to mix DNA with Breaking Bad into this episode. So this one's basically black and white and Kim all over. A lot of this is the Gene Takovic treatment of Kim Wexler's post post- uh, like Howard Hamlin life, essentially. So if you go back to the moment where Kim leaves Jimmy that night and wonder what's going on with her, you find out largely uh, with some some blank spots in this episode. Uh, Kim has been leading a pretty pedestrian life in Florida where she works for a sprinkler company and does catalogs and brochures for them, apparently with the same fastidious sort of attention to detail that she brought to her legal career. Uh, she's dating, I believe, an unnamed guy, but even if he's not, he frankly does not really deserve a name since there's a highlight of his day. Chad, Chad, Chip, Bobby, like he's just like 
should we have mayonnaise or miracle whip do you think the amazing race is hard like just <laughs> for for what it's worth lest people think that we're just typical coastal elites that conversation about hellman's or miracle whip in tuna salad was a fraught conversation that happened sure. many times in my childhood. Well, he home. was going for Dukes, which I guess is, I, I personally have never sampled it, but is never that a Southeastern it. United States thing? Is that a Publix thing? I'm I don't sure even know. I'm sure someone will tell us. Kim's brunette, she seems miserable, but also like she's doing penance. And I think that's sort of the big thing I took from this mm-hmm. one, which is an episode of TV that I thought was profound. Not only for what the story okay. it was telling, not only for the performances and the writing and everything and the way it was shot, but perhaps unique in many of the series that we've talked about over the last 10 years of chatting about television in that I feel fairly confident that Better Call Saul is not going to make us feel good about these people. <laughs> What's in the name way, of this episode, by the way? It's episode 12, as of you and I recording. Oh, the name will be released later tonight, probably. I guess okay, so. And I, okay. I guess you could make, you could take a couple of like clubhouse guesses um, mm-hmm. based on the people who appear in this episode. But not only just the the tone of the episode in, as a whole, and I think the oppressive feeling oh, of the. It has a name. Oh, go for it. Waterworks. Oh, well, that would speak to, speak to the, the Emmy winning, mm-hmm. the should be Emmy winning scene. Racyhorn yep. gives on a, a on a commuter bus or a shuttle bus in, at the airport. Um, you know the black and white photography has become almost oppressive in how depressing it is and how yep. drab and flat it is. I think the need for Kim or Kim's f- compulsion to atone for this past life, going as far as to drop off an affidavit at the district attorney's and confess to Cheryl about what happened really with Harold Howard, and Gene's sort of descent after the phone call with Kim in the payphone booth to the point where it's almost like he's begging to be caught. You know, it goes further and further down the rabbit hole of not just getting away with identity theft, but then messing with like, I'm going to have a drink in this guy's house. I'm just going to kind of taunt the system almost because I just Mm -hmm. keep getting away with it, to paraphrase Jesse Pinkman. And then that very last scene with Marion, which is why you hire Carol Burnett. If you if we were kind of wondering last week, like it's cool. Like I'm sure there's got to be something coming here with this Carol Burnett character because while it seems like she had a great time on set, like it's strange just to have her be in yep. this kitchen drinking schnapps. And then you get that moment where, and it wasn't lost on me the pop culture like sort of overtones of this guy who's going to kill Carol Burnett. Yeah, <laughs> that's who this guy is. What was your general takeaway? We can go through this sort of beat by beat in a second. I was blown away by this episode. I think it's one of the best hours of TV in recent memory. I know that it sounds like now I'm just almost doing performative mea culpas. You, not you, nearly you yourself as are atoning now. Kim, yeah. But you're dropping off your affidavit to Pete, Pete Gold's office. <laughs> it's also on brand for talking about this show in this world to kind of find a lane and really, really dig deep in it. Yeah. And, and never you know, ever waver. I'm really blown away by how snookered I was. I mean, first of all, let's just, can I just do a quick pause and say something? One of the greatest feelings that we can experience as people or adult people is to be surprised by mm-hmm. our art and entertainment. And I feel like we kind of have forgotten that. And we always want to like, not we, but you know, we collectively, like we want to jump ahead or we want answers. Or we want to be online and we want to theorize. It's awesome to be caught flat-footed by people who know what they're doing. You know, it's fun to go to see a magician perform and be like, I don't know how you did that, but I'm dazzled and I'm in awe. And that's kind of how I feel about this because- I completely agree. 
I also would say that the the shows that you and I have felt most passionately about yeah. over the last couple of years, whether it's like The Bear or Mayor, or Mayor of Easttown, have felt that way. Have yeah. felt like, oh shit, this is different. This is this feels real, or this feels you know like something I haven't seen, or feels like something I haven't seen before. But continue. I'm sorry. Not at all. I, I I'm glad that we get to we get to sort of link up and and cry hosanna about that because I think. Kim has never not been who she is. She's one of the most brilliantly, sharply drawn characters in recent memory on television. And we, as either bad TV fans or breaking bad TV fans, spent a large portion of the last six plus years, seven years now, anticipating a gruesome end for for this character. Something terrible would happen. She would be pushed too far. Something would catch up to her. But Kim is a good person who has had a strong moral compass even when she has deviated from it in her life. And I watched this episode and I'm like, this is always where it was going. This is always where it needed to go. And I love that feeling. I love that I was wrong about it. And I love that I missed it completely, that we didn't even take a moment to consider that as an option over the last few years. At least I don't think I did. I don't think either of us did on this pod. Because here's the thing about Better Call Saul. They fucking did it to us again. Mm -hmm. This is a show about a bad guy. It's a show about a bad guy and they changed the timing and they changed the narrative and we met someone who we thought was shallow and they made him deep. That's what the project of the show was. But the depth doesn't always mean you find gold. It just means you follow those hollow, you find a hollow place that can't be filled that someone is always going to try to fill. And I just feel really worked up, honestly, about the artistry at play here because not just because I didn't see it coming, because who am I? But I feel like many people in the audience kind of forgot. And at times during the last few years, we've been, you know, we, we've either discussed at arm's length or maybe poked holes in the idea that Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and their crew were considering actively Better Call Saul as an act of, as a corrective in some yeah. ways to some of the issues yeah. of Breaking Bad, which, you know, as, as discussed by us even as recently as the other week, like kind of had it both ways in its ending. It gave it had the moral. Endings. It had and the it moral did, ending and, and in Granite State. Felina got to. Yep. He got to kind of make up for everything. His family got paid off. His best friend or his surrogate son. He was. He saved him. Yep. There was a feeling that he, even if like he wasn't a good guy, made up for a lot of his wrongdoings. That he made up for it. That it was somehow worth it. Maybe if you squint and forget about Hank or whatever. Right. Like th- that. Somehow that whole calculus worked. We're not getting that here. And what was so brilliant about this episode was the way that it kept switching, jumping tracks, starting with Saul anticipating seeing Kim for what you know might be the very last time, letting the Kim part portion play out, returning to that Saul scene. And you can see in that moment when the road permanently divides. Yeah. And, and, and in a very human, relatable way, I mean— both of us, I'm sure, and people listening, whether it's not necessarily over a divorce settlement, but there have been moments when you've reached the end of something with someone and you're never going to agree on the terms of it. And you're yes. going to go, and in this case, you know, we saw the trauma, we saw the breaking point, and we now understand why Saul is the way he is. He can't go there and deal with it, and she can't live with it. So what do they have to say across that table? I mean, it was, did it you was get devastating the impression, and it was powerful. Did you get the impression when she's in the office in color, and she's mm-hmm. seeing that office, t- I guess, for the first time. Yeah. That they had had much communication in between the point where she had left him and this divorce being settled. No, I think, I think intentionally, no. I think she 
has laid pretty clear boundaries and continue to, you know, in the other points in the episode as well. It was so strong and powerful. And then we got to run it back and talk about the Florida stuff. But it was mm-hmm. so strong and powerful that the cross with Jesse, which you, you guys know, like I'm generally not allergic to, but I get a little itchy. Like I don't know if we need it always. But I thought this was a really nice grace note because it did sort of square the circle of like, yes, Kim existed in this universe. Yes, there was a moment. You know, the the, the guy who doesn't do paperwork is Emilio, who is soon to be dissolved in the bathtub. Right. right. So we now we can kind yeah, of Yeah, there were a couple of good callbacks to Bad and to Saul, like Victor Sinclair is an alias that Jimmy uses yep. in the second she season. That's when she's like, that's when she says her name is Giselle, their brother and sister who are con. It's not dissimilar to the con that Jeff and, and Gene were running on guys in, in Omaha. Why don't we go through the episode sort of beat by beat? So obviously I was asking you about whether or not you felt like they had had much interaction in between Kim leaving and her coming into the office. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of wet eyes. There is that like one moment of kind of humanity in Saul before Kim walks in. But obviously they have that pretty hostile separation. The hostile on his side. Hostile on his side. I mean, he's pretty yeah. much just like have a good life or whatever. Um, but, you know, he's, for the most he's, part. He's fully in character. I mean, it, it, that, it's the most devastating use of the Saul character that we've seen. Yeah. You know, but to see him do it to her. Let's go back to the Florida stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you're a Florida fiction connoisseur. How they did, did you it. feel? Yeah. They did it. We talked about this and I was like, yeah, but they won't really go there. I mean, okay. Well, there we was a rumor. Even... Wasn't there something about that's yeah. where they shot Cranston and Pink and Jesse? That right? came out last week, which made me excited about what was to come. But I, we also have to take a moment here and say, by all accounts, you and I have never met Vince Gilligan, but by all accounts from people who know him, have worked with him, he's a lovely guy. Like mm-hmm. he, people are like, how come he didn't break bad, like in his brain? Like, why is he a well-adjusted, friendly, homespun, folksy guy to everyone? Apparently that's true. It doesn't matter if it is, but that's nice to know. But he does have a little Heisenberg in him, not because of the way he plots TV shows, but by the way he extracts money from Sony Pictures Television Studios <laughs> because this episode was so expensive. They'll never tell us. They'll never tell us. But this episode was so beautiful. It was so well-directed. And it had to have been so expensive. Not just because they were like, hey, we got to go to Florida. But the Florida sequence of Kim's life there, mm-hmm. up to her office, especially her office, I'm watching it thinking about how much location scouting went into that. And then location building with a production design team. So you have the windows just so, so that you can play that scene on the secretary on the phone with the exercise bike and then Kim in the background. The rehearsals, the casting of people there to play these parts so beautifully. And then just the inserts, dog. Well, also the The, granular research into like Florida culture of like these people make, as a deviled eggs that they were making to, to make it look like Florida state colors. Yeah. Well, I also think in that case, I think they probably had a PA researching Cornhusker stuff last week. And they were like, hey, are you, well, you have the college football wiki open. But like this, the shot of the cars in the parking lot with the heat waves coming off of it. I mean, if you have time to get that shot, nobody's asking you to make your days in a way sure. that's awesome. It was beautifully directed and I loved it. Okay, but yeah, Florida. This is, this is the why they sequences. spent the entire season shooting Tony Dalton in a sewer. <laughs> I guess they, so. need, they had to save their money for Florida. Oh my God. Um, so Kim has this life working for a sprinkler company. I found those scenes to be the other side of the coin of the way that Saul has been presented this entire time where they have sort of really relished in these montages and in these process oriented episodes. 
And this is kind of like what happens if you apply those outside of the realm of like cartels and lawyers. And it's yeah. just like, this is what Better Call Saul would be like if it was just about this person who's miserable but is going about her life in a Florida sprinkler company. Did you think that she was punishing herself? Yes. Uh, by the way, no character has ever been devoted to oral hygiene like Kim. It's great that they that she's stuck with that routine. Yeah. Incredible, incredible moment. Just once again, brushing those teeth. Um, yes. I mean, I think that, again, we've spent a lot of time with her. She is an incredibly rigorous person, disciplined person. And you don't build those walls around yourself without intention. You know, she didn't slide into this. She is participating in it. You know, she even brings up the Miracle Whip thing. You know, she is engaged in the commerce of this particularly small society, right? Like she has chosen this dude to sleep with and watch The Amazing Race with. And yeah, I think she thinks it's what she deserves, you know, and she certainly doesn't think she deserves any more than that. And and I love the detail that you mentioned too, which is just she's very good at this job too. Yeah, I mean, I you just know? I thought that was so interesting to watch her. Like, it wasn't just like I'm going to literally phone it in and just find out everything as a follow up question. She's engaged with what it is. She even goes to the factory and, floor to kind of see what they're working on with this, and then she winds up getting to the end of the day, and the cumulative mm -hmm. end product of her entire day of work is one line at the bottom of this yeah. catalog. And I also have to say that much like the whole show doesn't work without the two of them, it you know, it, it Odenkirk is the lead and his name's in the title, but it really exists and succeeds because of the dynamic of the two of them. It wasn't until Kim's life was in black and white that I fully understood on an aesthetic and creative level why Gene is in black and white. Because, yeah, I mean, glibly, all the color's been drained from his life. It's yeah. boring now. I get that. But the way that it was used and used sparingly up to now, it did also feel like just kind of a, you know, like a fun little aesthetic choice. Like we're just going to, so you know, you can tell where we are in time. And then we go to one of the most brightly colored places in America and it's also been leached. It's just and essentially her life has white. been leached. Yeah, yeah. And someone who has been so alive, it was really affecting. And her performance, I mean, I you said at the beginning, the Emmy winning, the Emmys don't matter, guys, but this this one does. It yeah. really does. This performance in this episode alone was God level. It was staggering. A couple of other Florida things to mention. One is Please. just how similar her life was to her life with Saul or Jimmy. You know, the the sort of more like quotidian conversations about what to eat or how to eat it. Yeah, we saw and a lot of that, yeah. watching TV at the end of the night. That used to be her and Jimmy's big thing is getting Thai food and watching classic movies, you know? And this is sort of like, if you adjust the dial just a couple of things to the left or right, yep. it's hell on earth. You're stuck with this fucking guy who's like, hey, yeah. there's an outback in Satellite Beach. Want to go? Like, And that was a great detail, by the way, just because like the amount of outbacks in Florida <laughs> is so mind-blowing sometimes. Like, But yeah, like I just thought that the idea that she was essentially living very much the same life, but minus this key you know, chemical component mm -hmm. that was maybe love, Maybe it was just the thrill of the illicit or the thrill of being involved in like this consequential life. And now she doesn't have that. But like, yeah, it, the the idea that just basically like meaning had been sucked out of her existence. And then she kind of gets it back. She goes back to Albuquerque. 
after this conversation with Gene, I guess briefly, like, did you, were you surprised that that's what the conversation was? Because we saw a version of it from a distance with no audio. Yeah, I was surprised because, um, again, like, I really, really just respect the decision making that led to giving us knowledge of the conversation, but ignorance of the content of the conversation until this week. Like, that, the way these two episodes were in conversation with each other was just so masterfully done. You know, they, they are of a piece. They are deeply connected. And we pointed out last week that it, you know, it was rare for Saul to end with a cliffhanger like that, just walking into a house. And the handoff thematically and, and narratively was just really remarkable. But yeah, I, I didn't have any idea. I certainly didn't think that they had spoken. I think the takeaway that I, that I had, again, for no good reason whatsoever, was that he was somehow given the runaround. That there oh, was some, I, some I big... definitely thought they spoke, but I thought the ingenious thing was the way that we see it from the perspective of the camera in the previous mm-hmm. episode in Breaking Bad, it looks like he's exasperated or scared or upset in some way. But right. when you get it from the Kim perspective, he's basically kind of being a bastard. Yeah. He's being, an ab- I mean, he can't drop the character down. So it raises the question, who is he underneath all of it? And what is his response? I mean, it's it's addict behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Like he then, now we know from last week that as soon as this call happens, he decides to be somebody again mm-hmm. and get one over on people and take what he feels he's owed, which is what happens with the extra trip upstairs with the watches and the cigars. I mean, it's just affectation at that point. It's just, he wants to be impressive. And you, in that moment when he's like, oh, a hat person, I need a cigar, take a drink. That's the same thing when he's showing Kim his tacky ass office. He's like, look at what I've done. Look what I have. I, I don't think there are enough superlatives and we couldn't do it on this podcast to talk about her performance, both in that telephone yeah, spe- call scene the, and then later. The Albuquerque sequence is just pretty astonishing. So if you had any money on there being any kind of continuation of Albuquerque underworld television, I think that kind of put it to bed. That was essentially like, you wouldn't ask Clint Eastwood when he's making another Western after Unforgiven. I don't think you're going to ask them, you know, what are you guys going to do in Albuquerque after that sh- that sequence? Because it's a ghost town. Because Mike's not in the parking booth. There yep. are no lawyers eating lunch. She's wearing like a parka. It's like the winter of discontent. She's wandering through these halls. She's been replaced. Everybody's been replaced by other versions of them doing the same kind of work. Yes. And in Albuquerque, yeah. you know, Albuquerque is a is a phenomenal and interesting and surprising and weird place. I've spent a lot of time there. And, but if you shoot it differently, it's just a place. I mean, one of the things that it's good for shooting in is it can be a lot of different places. Yeah. It took Gilligan and this crew to be like, we're going to make a show about the way the sky looks here, essentially. And, and, right. and it was such a bold choice to shoot it in a completely opposite way. And by the way, shout out to whoever knew that they'd be trolling us by having Kim in a parka and then see the Alaska Airlines logo. Because anyone who had like the, she goes to visit Pinkman, like obviously the timing, <laughs> you know, but I thought that was pretty funny if it was intentional. I imagine everything is intentional. But yeah, uh, it's a ghost town now. It's It has also lost its whatever it was. And I found that pretty powerful and, and moving too. And, and And again, just on a process level, the casting of Howard's, widow she wasn't a widow and she was cast like sandrine holt what an interesting conversation because Mm -hmm. the character is you know we 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 harped on it like why are we spending time with with her for this one scene and you know in the same way that when they cast francesca i don't know if they knew that we're going to be using you in a lot of different ways over the course of many years 
with the Sandrine Holt piece, they were definitely like, you're coming back and you're going to yeah. have to be able to do X, Y, and Z thing in a lot of surprising ways. Kim laying it all out in a, like, like in a deposition, basically, in a legal document. It was such a devastating and, of course, totally appropriate place for this to end up. You know, it, it, it was, and to see it written out, brutal. That's where I felt like... Um the version of myself that watched the last few years of this show kind of died. Yes. Because when you read the clinical version of the plot of this show, it's not really that ambiguous. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? Like, no, they're they, monsters. They set up this guy with the intention of destroying his life and it worked just not the way they thought it would. And then they let that lie live on to disgrace his memory and she goes back to Cheryl for this, I, not absolution, I think it was legitimately like, I think mm -hmm. I should be punished. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I have not suffered enough. And I, in some ways, I think she was like, she could hear something in Jean's voice that was like, you haven't suffered either, or at least you didn't learn any lessons from this. So I need to go back and take this on. And, it, and it's so brilliantly paired with the, with the Jesse scene where he's like, is this lawyer good? Because I need someone who can just make bad things go away. Yeah. It's just what we all want for life. We just want it to be easy. We want to take it away. And again and again, this that's what this show has lionized. And I think it's had a really interesting reckoning with the morality behind those decisions. And it's done so particularly in the last few years in a way that is, I think, deeply respectful, artistic, and also entertaining. So, you know, like Mike, one of the great characters of the last 15 years in television, his job was to make things go away. Mm -hmm. And he was the best there was at it. Right? Like he was brilliant at it and we couldn't wait to see him do it again. But, you know, there, there are people who used to be those bodies and it all came due, you know, and, it, and it's kind of, it's kind of remarkable the degree to which we as an audience are so, and this is a great thing and playing with this and poking at it and considering it is what makes it art, honestly, because it was entertaining already. But like, I think if you had polled all of us two weeks ago, we're like, and then Gene will find Kim and they'll have a happy ending. What world does that come from? It's TV brain. It's it's I, entertainment brain. And it's, I was, I was, I completely, I mean, like, that's, that's, I was like, she's from Nebraska. He's in Nebraska. Yeah. One day she's going to come up to the Cinnabon, like in the last five minutes of the show. And it's going to be like, it was always you. The thing that really hit me hard though, is her, I would probably guess send off from this series is that scene with Jesse. I think then you have to take oh, a no, step. Oh, no, I think she's back. I think she's going to be back in next week. I do. Fair enough. If it was her last scene, mm -hmm. I think I could make the argument for why it should be. You know, yeah, I please. mean, obviously anything can happen next week. And in a lot of ways, like I, I don't think I've anticipated a serious finale like this since Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of like symmetry to the characters of Kim and Jesse to me when I was watching that scene of th these two people who... I think we're the the sin eaters for sociopaths, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they they were the ones who went along with it but never stopped feeling it. And, you know, the way in which Jesse as this as breaking bag goes on becomes increasingly unraveled by several examples of the sheer inhumanity of the world that he's involved with, whether it's, you know the Kristen Ritter, whether it's Jane, whether it's, you know, like the kid, like it goes on and on. And then the literal punishment that he endures 
yes. th- throughout throughout like and through El Camino. It's like that's th- th- I think Kim is that same character in this show where it's like she's the one who never stopped actually feeling and she was very good at holding it in and at times egged it on. But when she's on that bus you and it comes flooding out of her, I think that you see like the parallels there. I mean, and, and I don't even have words for that scene. I can't imagine what it was like to shoot it, to be there while I was filming. I don't, I don't know how many takes they took, but it was, that was, that was a very special kind of acting. And it was yeah. really uh, just, it's just, it was just remarkable. But I also think that now we need to pay attention in a way that I don't think we did before. And I'll put the marker down. Like, yeah, Kim survives this show, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does she have to live with? What did she do to her life? What what was done to her? What choices did she make? And and that is a really interesting thing to consider, particularly in the light of, and you just mentioned El Camino, which was kind of, again, kind of cute with it. He was punished for what he did, but he got away with it, you know, and we wanted him to get away with it. And, but get away with it, you know, and then his story's over because what's the next story? Someone recognizes him? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the story we want. We want that to be at rest. We want that to be done. Yeah, I mean, um, it, I, 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 Kim I, is going to have the consequences, and and I think that's really a powerful thing. And 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 especially, we'll probably talk about this more next week. But you know, the shadow of Skyler has been over mm-hmm. the series as well. A character who was not given a lot to do, and then um, given a very unfortunate and kind of retrograde female second lead part to play, which is the scold keeping Walter from having fun. And I think that the performer and the writing was much better than that. And I, I think that's pretty, you know, that, that's pretty reductive to say that's what it was, but that's certainly how it was interpreted. And it was a box that was created for that interpretation when they sort of gamed out what the series was going to look like, which they did, by the way, almost 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever the pilot was written. So that it's from a different era. So to make him literally his partner in all things, participant, and then also moral center, it's a much more complicated and nuanced part. And... It's remarkable. I mean, just this Ray Seahorn thing, like, I don't know. We might need a couple of weeks just to keep keep circling back to it because <laughs> Odenkirk is great. Odenkirk is amazing. And Odenkirk, our love for him is partly because we love him as a performer and a comedian and just as a person in our lives and on our screens in different parts. And also when you see someone do one thing and you're like, he can do that too? Yeah. I, I, we saw Ray Seahorn do comedy. I mean, she was on like Whitney and stuff. But I, for the most for most of us, she was not someone that we would were noticing or turning our heads towards and this is it's like Cranston like yeah. someone coming in at a certain age in their career and being like okay clear out I'm ready it's cool the last line that she has would be would be good enough as a as a character send off the line that she, Jesse asks you know how good is this guy or is this mm-hmm. guy that good and she says when I knew him he was and then she blows out smoke or I think before she says the line she blows out the cigarette smoke like she's spitting up it's kind of like almost like she's exorcising yeah. a demon, but she blows out the cigarette smoke. She 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 says her last line to Jesse, and she walks out into the torrential downpour of Albuquerque, which does happen. Yep, right, flash floods, and then the rest of the episode we get Gene, and you know the incredible, incredibly intense emotion and raw humanity of the Kim section is sort of offset by this Pink Panther sequence that we get. With Gene. Which I was dying. I was so amped up from what had just come. I had to, I had to pause. I was right. so tense. Right. Because you know it's going to go wrong, but you don't know how it's going to go wrong. This is why God and made they, commercial breaks. And they still surprised me. Yeah, I needed them. And Gene just stays longer and longer and longer. 
Uh, I don't believe that the character has been given a name, but it's the it's the the con mark that has cancer, played mm-hmm. by Kevin Sussman, who is on like Big Bang Theory for like ten years and tons of other stuff, and he eventually like he's prolonging his time in this house as he's like going further and further into these his, more more nefarious deeds. His official name is Cancer Victim. Cancer Victim. Yeah. Uh, while this is happening, Jeff is getting more and more nervous. And then behind Jeff pulls up a cop car and he thinks that they're stalking him, but instead they're having this argument about whether or not it's possible to get a good fish taco in Albuquerque. I would leave that to you to answer the question. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't do enough research. I, I, will, I will not comment. Because you were probably like that other cop who was like, why would I be getting fish this far from a body of water? You can get good fish there, but it wouldn't be like my go-to order. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but one of the cops uh, in the car was the guy in Born Legacy who talks to Edward Norton about outcome and yes no but now it makes sense i was i was riveted so jeff just spins out and drives his car right into another car and gets arrested gene gets out of the house he gets the phone call eventually he's doing saw hands to his mobile phone he gets the phone call from jeff jeff sort of keeps it on the down low and then it turns out that they're going to need to bring marion in on this and we get the Marion scene. We get the final scene of the episode where Jean goes over to Marion's house and she has looked him up on Ask Jeeves, mm-hmm. another incredible great early 2000s hit from this show. And he tears the phone cord out of the wall and wraps around his hands like he's in a Hitchcock movie. They shoot it like he's in a Hitchcock movie. He now looks like a killer with his glasses and his hair slicked back and he's so much taller than Carol Burnett. And then one little sort of moment of softness creeps into him and she she clicks her life alert and announces that Saul Goodman is in her house and he runs out the door. What did you think of that sort of final Marion sequence? Well, I mean, it was brilliantly shot and performed. It's awesome. You were right about Carol Burnett. It's just like... It's not just, it wasn't just a victory lap. Like, let's give her something really meaty to play. I mean, she's not known for being a dramatic actress, but she's just a great performer. And that was amazing to watch. I was really just, you know, that experience of, that you had in real time over many years of being like, I still like Walter, but boy, he's really acting erratically. But then I kind of like watching him do it. And you're sort of feeling his high. It was a one episode journey for, for Gene Jimmy Saul, who has always skated and skirted, right? And then and then justified and never actually done direct violence himself. And then within a span of a few moments, he's about to smash an urn containing a beloved dead dog's ashes over the head of a cancer victim that he's just drugged. And once again, fate and circumstance takes that choice out of his hands. And then is he going to strangle this lady? Right. Is he going to tie her up? What's he going to do? Um... Is he going to rip her life alert off of her neck? Like, yeah. Because he's used all his words. The words always worked. And, you know, the the, the cocktail and the waggling fingers, like he was back briefly, right? And I think that's what ultimately this was all all about. Like he had the watches and he had the drink in his hand and he was in control of the situation again. And that was probably a bigger high than breaking in in the first place, that he was going to get this low life out because they had no evidence and he was going to beat these cops. And he, he already knows that it's a no bail bondsman state and all these details, you know, that yeah. wouldn't be re- relevant necessarily to the management at the mall Cinnabon is rough. It's rough. And it, and it, and it's a, um, you know, it was just an amazing moral caricature and 
portraiture, not caricature, and then leads to, you know, now we have a finale. And I, that title has been released as well. And, and what's and the it's title? Called, it's called Saul Gone. Oh, wow. So Good pun. Bad puns and, you know, <laughs> truth. Nicely um, done. I mean, this show has been very granular over, like it's been pretty meticulous about documenting these last couple of days or weeks or however long it's been since you met Marion to now. I think I think probably at least weeks or months because of the amount sure. of care and work that goes into like, you know, setting up the department store, you know, all that stuff. But how much further into the future do you think this is going to go? Like, where do you see this trajectory? Because I'm, I'm out of guesses. I mean, I, I, the only guess that I have is informed by two things. One, um, the truth matters. I think that's kind of what the show is ultimately saying, that you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. And Saul Goodman is not You have true. to eventually have to be somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be somebody. And Saul is gone, I mean, but also over, as is Gene. The only thing left is is Jimmy. Like I don't I don't know if he legally changed his name to Saul. I would imagine if and when he is arrested, if that's something that happens on the show, it'll be James McGill, right? Like he'll be back to that, which would make a lot of sense. Um, it would make sense potentially for him to be back in Albuquerque. I mean, I don't know. I don't know in the best way. I mean, that's where yeah. we started this conversation. Like there is a version of this now where he does seek him again in a courthouse but not as lawyers. I mean, that's well, possible. She could be that's testifying in, against him. Yeah. That's all in play. And we don't know. I mean, I kind of am a fan of, not just because I love Kim and I don't want her to suffer anymore, but I appreciated her uh, her thoroughness where she's like, the DA might not choose to do that. And that's yeah. also, for a show that has always, you know, found a lot of hay in the kind of in legal minutia, that's also true. And on, on Law and Order, everything gets prosecuted. But on this show, yeah, I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, there's a moment there where I felt like, in Sandrine Holt's reaction to to Kim bringing this affidavit to her, that it almost felt like she was going to be like, I don't really want to deal with this. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I've made well, peace with the version of the truth that I thought happened, you know? I mean, it, someone said to me once, you know, that that um, absolute honesty is not a kindness. Right. You know, you have to think about, Kim did this for herself. And I think that, to her credit, she knew that she did it to herself. She knew that it would cause if not fresh pain, but an enormous avalanche of old pain um, to, to Cheryl, is that her name? Like, it, that's probably worth noting too. You know, everybody is, as, as Saul says, you know, everybody's gone, everybody's dead. So w- why do you have to be punished? Yeah. W- why does this ledger have to be settled? And, and I think it's pretty interesting and exciting to have all of the major characters kind of asking a question that is the job of the finale to answer. I, I'm so glad that they're doing this because it's hard. Like, that, that's a really heavy. But, but again, when you think about the, the dominoes that were set up, that like, like the Gary piece, obviously a different actor, but like the plan, or at least a loose version of the plan. I don't think Jeff driving a cab and recognizing Saul two years ago was as let's just throw an uncooked noodle at the wall like Walter at the diner with a gun, yeah. you know, that, which in, in the end of Breaking Bad, like they've, they've said, we didn't know. We, were, we just threw that down as a challenge to ourselves to figure out where he was coming from and why he had that gun. I think they knew a lot, which is cool, but... I also I think know. that those guys are so good at what they do that they knew what was going on with Kim during Breaking Bad. You know, and so that they knew where she was and they knew they had an idea of of what she was doing, not necessarily when they were making Breaking Bad, but that the idea of what happens to Gene 
which has been getting laid out throughout the entire mm-hmm. series of Better Call Saul, they must have also I, known at some point where Kim was going. The other, yeah, the other, on that point, the other credit I really want to give them is there's a difference between loving your own characters and taking care of them. And I think that at times that's maybe been a little muddled or misunderstood, certainly by me, where, you know, I sometimes was like, well, I, I love Mike too, and seeing him be awesome is great. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> There's nothing more to teach us. Once the German stuff happened, like I, in the Super Lab, which was just an incredible thing, incredible season, maybe my favorite, there wasn't that much more to do. So, you know, when he shows up or Walter shows up, it's like, we love these guys too. We're all having a party. They have taken care of Kim Wexler, the fictional character, and treated her with dignity and respect and consideration of who this person might be and how she might react. And I think they've done the same thing for Jimmy and Saul. And that's awesome. That's just really cool to see that that not that anyone would accuse them of this. I don't mean to set up like a straw man argument. It was ne- they they've never been like yeah well they'll shoot guns in the desert for seven more years. That's never been their project. Yeah, and but, they, and I saw in the Times, New York Times, they were in the re- recap of breaking the Breaking Bad episode. There was a discussion about how there was a point of about Saul, last week's episode of Salt about how most series by the time most series get to their finale, there's so many strands, so many characters yeah. that need to be brought to a conclusion. And Saul doesn't really have that problem. It's got two people. You know, it's really got two people that it has to sort of figure out what happened to and what what it means. Any you want to just chat briefly about Sandman before we go? Yeah, I've I've only just started it and I'm looking forward to talking to um hopefully to my old friend Alan, who is the showrunner of it. But I will say that like it is one of the crazy things of one's life when one gets older, I guess, to wait 30 years and then have something, right? Because like (laughs) Sandman, like for many people in the world and many people listening is a hugely important and like existentially defining experience. Having read that when it was coming out, basically bridging middle school into high school and it ended in college. And and I was, you know, this won't surprise anyone, dramatic person. I I was like, I'm done with comic books. That was like when I was in high school, I'm not going to read them anymore, but I'll buy the last three issues of Sandman and that'll be the end of my my nocturne or whatever. And- (laughs) And, you know, reading it and being like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if movie or whatever. And then the entire world changes and the industry changes. And suddenly it's not just possible for there to be a Sandman TV show. It's like Neil Gaiman being there being like, no, I want this in there. No, I still want. And not to discredit, we're going to talk to Alan about his like creative process. But there were times when I think I would have wanted maybe even something different. Like what would it, what should it or could it be on screen? But this is so lovingly and almost slavishly in the best possible. Can slavish ever be good? But I, I, I mean it. They have recreated the yeah. experience of reading yeah, yeah. a comic book in a way that might be off-putting because it's not a normal way to begin a show. This doesn't tell you that like in 40 episodes, there's going to be an entire episode about William Shakespeare writing The Tempest, right? Like that's not foregrounded here. But that's coming, I guess, because they're doing it. And it was kind Do of amazing. People at Netflix were it. like, we got to get this Tempest tease in there though. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we... We got we've got some sets on hold in Stratford on Avon. Yeah. We got a good deal on it. I, I just somebody thought, I looks thought up was... from Flora's Lava of season three and is like, "Are they really <laughs> not going to tease the Tempest?" <laughs> it's it, they, but I thought it was beautiful and it and it and it was really engaging. And I thought like it's just weird that like for thirty years this wasn't my concern, but for thirty years I was like, "Well, who's going to play Morpheus?" No one looks like that. And then Tom Sturridge is born at some point in this timeline. It just grows into someone who looks exactly like the character in the comics. It's kind of a trip. It's amazing. Uh, do, do, well, do you have any history with it? We can talk about it later. I just didn't know if no, you've read not comics. I mean, I don't have any history with the comics, and I'm also not a big Dreams guy. 
You're not a dreams guy. You want to you want to unpack that for a second? Sure. I mean, I just don't find them that interesting. Uh, like so mine are pretty. Tell other people, yeah. Mine are pretty like. Oh, I'm anxious about work. That was pretty obvious. Like in my you know my dreams, and oh, then I'm not an but, interesting dream guy either. Yeah. And I and I never really have like I'm soaring or like I have like. It's like whenever there's dreams on shows or movies, I'm just like, this is bullshit. It's not how Well, there is an element dream. in this, and I understand why they did it. And I think it'll go in different places because there's also nightmares who are Boyd Holder yeah. ripping people's eyes out, which is cool. But when they're like, this is the dreaming, and it's just like castles and dragons, which is accurate to the book. But I'm like, I have never once had a dream ever, ever had with a, a castle, castle or a dragon. I, yeah. I had a, here's a dream I had the other night. You ready? Oh, for sure. Everybody loves this. Everybody loves this. It's going to be short. <laughs> I was continuing a conversation I had had with someone that day. And I asked a question, and the person opened their mouth to answer. Oh, no, and then said, it opened their mouth to answer, and jazz came out. Oh, that's pretty cool. saxophone bebop came out of her mouth. That's awesome. That's a cool trick you learned, and then I woke up. But that's not a TV show. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. That's my dream. Most interesting one I've had in months. We'll come back. We'll talk more about dreams. We'll talk more about Sam, and we'll talk more about industry and reservation dogs later in the week. Andy, have a good one. Thank you to Kaya for producing and thanks to everybody for listening. Happy Bluey Day on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs>